Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together.
Turning your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, of course, the scriptures will be on the screens. And if you have a, a Bible app, actually, if you have the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, you can find our notes on there. If you just open the YouVersion Bible app, go to the menu, pull up events, and if your location services are turned on, it'll locate you right here. Sunday morning sermon, just click on that, and you can follow along with the notes and all the texts that we'll look at today. The book of Revelation might not be the first place we think of to go on Easter Sunday morning. It is a complex book of images and symbols, a lot of pictures and types and shadows and metaphors, and at times it's unclear when we're talking about something literal or when we're talking about something figurative. And as you go through the book, we kind of go back and forth, and are we talking about something that has already happened, something that's yet to happen, something that's happening currently, or are we talking about patterns over the course of human history since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? We'll let the commentators and the theologians deal with that, and sometime later when we go through the book of Revelation, God help us, we will deal with that. But today, I just want to point us to the simple, easy message of Revelation. Yes, a simple, easy message, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord, and Jesus Christ is worthy. The book of Revelation has suffered in past couple hundred years because we have turned it into a book about calculations and numbers and secrets and charts and codes and the rapture and the tribulation and the antichrist and the end times and all that wonderful stuff is there and we'll look at it later but the center of the book of revelation the point of revelation is the unveiling that's what the word means revelation the Greek name for this book is apocalypsis or unveiling the showing the manifestation of Jesus Christ and from the first chapter of Revelation, we see that. Because as John is deserted on the island of Patmos and he turns on the Lord's day, who does he see but a vision of the exalted, glorious, risen Christ? From the very beginning of the book, it's all about Jesus. And then John pins seven letters to seven real historical churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, before immediately coming back in chapters 4 and 5 to the throne room of heaven. And who is at the center again but the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of it all. And the book of Revelation ends this way. Jesus declaring, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. The beginning and the end. It's Jesus. And at the center of the person and work of Jesus are the events that we've celebrated this week. As he came into Jerusalem, humble and riding on a donkey. As he celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room and washed their feet and instituted the Lord's Supper. This is my body, this is my blood. As he gave himself for us on the cross and died, as he was buried, and on that Sunday morning as he rose victoriously from the dead. This weekend, the gospel, all of history, is about the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. All of history before that pointed to it, and all of history since and into eternity will point back to that event, those days. And it's where we are in the book of Revelation chapter five. But there's a peculiar episode that unfolds here in Revelation five. 
Whereas we were all victory, all glory, and Jesus is exalted and lifted up. We come to chapter 5 and we have this, what seems like a big disappointment. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And this kind of bizarre scene around the throne, there is sorrow. There's disappointment. John sees this scroll, a long scroll. It's rolled up. It's sealed, it seems, with seven seals. It's written on the front and the back. What is this scroll? Some believe that as Jesus begins to open the scroll, it is a futuristic event in which the last days unfold with the breaking of every seal and the judgments of God come down. Some Christians have seen this as the unfolding of history since the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. That as each seal is opened, an epic or a new era of history begins as we march toward the return of Christ. Whatever it is, because we're not going to settle it here today, we know that someone must be worthy to open it. Someone must be worthy to come and to judge the world. Whatever these events are, whatever this scroll is, whoever would dare touch this scroll because it's at the right hand of God, must be worthy to approach the throne itself. Verse 2 tells us that there was no one who was found worthy. The angel says, who is worthy? And verse 3 says, no one. Let me circle that if you write in your Bible. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, no one is worthy. Are the angels worthy? No. Is John worthy? No. Are the 24 elders around the throne worthy? No. Are the weird, bizarre creatures around the throne worthy? No. No one is worthy. And we see John's disappointment, his sadness. It says, he wept loudly. He was mournful and, and lamenting that no one can open the scroll. Have we come this far in this vision this glorious unfolding of human events, have we come this far to have a dead end and no one can do this, no one can finish the job? Is this where the vision stops? No one is able or worthy to open the scroll. That leads us to the hopeful announcement of verses five through seven. All seems lost. There's despair and weeping. Who dares approach the throne? But in verse 5, one of the elders comes to John and says, verse 5, weep no more. Now, we see the word behold, and we sort of think that sort of an antiquated, old-fashioned word that sounds very melodramatic, don't we, behold. But it's actually an exclamation. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There's this hopeful announcement. A lion, he's told. A root of David, he's told. Now, those are odd pictures. Is it a lion or a root? Make up your mind. 
Well, it's both. Who is this that is a lion and the root of David? Well, you know your Bibles this morning. You see the clues. This reference to Judah, reference to this David, the king. We're talking about the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God who came to be the king of kings and lord of lords. It all becomes clear now. Now, I want you to know in Revelation, several times things change. And you got to notice these things. In chapter 1, what John hears is a loud trumpet sound. When he's knocked to his face and he's about to see this glorious vision, he hears a trumpet sound. But as he turns, it's the Lord Jesus. He hears a trumpet, he turns and look, looks, and it's Jesus. In chapter 7, John hears the number 144,000. And we have this delineated through the 12 tribes of Israel. But as John turns in that same vision, what does he see? Not 144,000, but an innumerable number of people shouting to God and praising him. Here's the trumpet, turns to see Jesus. Here's 144,000, turns to see an innumerable host praising God. So what does he hear here in verse 5? A lion. A mighty, roaring lion. But as he turns in verse 6, what does he see? Between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lion. I saw a root from David, a mighty king. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He hears about a lion, a mighty king, and he turns to see a lamb. So which is it? The answer is yes. It is the lion who is the lamb that was slain. And it is the slain lamb who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And there's this hopeful announcement. He is able to open the scroll That leads us to verses 8 through 14, this universal praise that begins to take place. As he takes the scroll, this lion of Judah, this root of David, the slain lamb, all of heaven erupts before him. In verses 9 and 10, we see the elders that are around the throne saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. As we come to verse 12, we add the creatures and the angels in verse 12 saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then finally in verse 13, every creature... Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, remember that, from the ones who were not worthy in heaven or on earth or under the earth, now they all sing universally. Every creature ever created singing to God and to the Lamb, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And at this, all of heaven falls to their faces and says, amen, 
and worships the lamb on the throne. It's almost as if God scripted this moment, this pageant unfolding in heaven before the apostle John, that this one who is worthy, the lion, David's root, the lamb, the king of kings and lord of lords, it's as if it was all designed in this picture to point us to Jesus. And as the scene unfolds and the revealing or the unveiling, the revelation continues, it shows us who's, is at, who's at the center of it all. The worthy Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, Jesus. Further, note this today. This is to remove any doubt that Jesus alone is worthy. He stands alone deserving of the praise, deserving and able to open the scrolls and to unleash the judgment on the world. None can stand beside him. This apostle and no other apostle can stand next to him. The elders cannot stand next to him. The angels cannot stand next to him. The creatures cannot join him around the throne. No one was found worthy but him. And that brings us to some realizations this morning. The uniqueness of Christ. The exclusivity of salvation in Christ. Why? Because he alone is worthy. Let's examine that just a little today. Number one. Jesus is worthy because he is God. He's worthy because he's God. You take this to your Jehovah's Witness friends, that he cannot be a created being because no created being was worthy to come before the throne. But he is worthy to come before the throne. Why? Because he is no created being. He is beginning and he is in. He is eternal as the living God. Who dares to approach the throne of God except God himself? He was with God as God from all eternity. John, the same apostle, tells it to us this way in his gospel. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, don't miss those two. They're both very important. He is God, but he was also with God. There is a distinction in the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a withness and there is a oneness. He is with God and he is God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us this about Jesus, that even though he was in the form of God... Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, In him the whole fullness of God dwells. Jesus was with God as God from all eternity. Unchanging, pure, holy, righteous, and eternal. He was no creation of God the Father, but eternally existed equal with God the Father and the Spirit as one God from all eternity. Now we have to start there. We have to understand that basic fact of the Christian faith. Because as we come to this scene and the question is asked, who is worthy to come into the presence of God, 
Who else is worthy except he that is perfect, God? And in the unique person of Jesus Christ, we see just that. Eternal creator, God. But that's not the whole picture. Number two, Jesus is worthy because he is the God-man. Ingrained into those texts we just read is the other side of this coin. Jesus is God. John says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But down in John 1.14, he says this Word, who was with God and who was God, became flesh. The Lord Jesus. Philippians 2.6 said that he was in the form of God. But then Philippians 2.8 says he took on human form. That same verse in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, you'll notice I, I skipped it earlier. He is the fullness of God in bodily form. This one who is worthy, who is God from all eternity, becomes a man, takes on human nature. This is what we call the incarnation, that Jesus, the eternal son, becomes a man. To live as a man, to be the second Adam, to be what the first Adam could never do, to could never be and could never do, to obey God perfectly in sinless perfection. He comes as the true Israel to do what Israel could never do, and that is to keep God's law perfectly and to be completely and totally holy. Jesus is God. Jesus is the God-man, and he's worthy. Number three, Jesus is worthy because he died. Not only is he God, and not only is he the God who became man, but he became man in order to take our failure, take our sin, take our unholiness upon himself and die. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6, you know these verses. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes, with his wounds, we are healed. And verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We just went through this book together, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we're told by the apostle Paul, he became sin who knew no sin. He became sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the miracle of the gospel. The God-man who was able to suffer for man's sin because he was a man. But the God-man who was able to bear an infinite penalty for sin because he's also God. And there's a lot of toying around with the gospel in our day. I mean, duh. <laughs> it's happening all around us. Sadly, though, it's happening even in churches. And for some reason, there's this allergy to the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he was bearing not just the sins of man, but the punishment and wrath of a holy God. And that he willingly took this on himself. 
And the argument goes like this. That doesn't sound like a loving God. Why would a loving God punish his son Jesus for sins that he didn't commit? That sounds like, and here's the quote from about 20 years ago, that sounds like cosmic child abuse. As if the son went unwillingly. As if the son didn't choose to go. As if the son full of love and obedience didn't say to the father, yes, this is the plan and I will do it. Folks, listen to me carefully this morning. If we take away the fact that Jesus died as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice that bore the wrath of God and the sins of man on the cross, we don't have a gospel to preach. We don't have good news because what's been done with our sins? A show on a cross? A display of love, that's wonderful, it happened. A display of humility, yes, it happened. But unless on that cross he bore the anger and the judgment of his father, there is no good news for us. He bore that on the cross in himself. And this is what John sees. A mighty lion who was also a slain lamb. A mighty lion revealing his divinity. A slain lamb showing us his humanity. And why did he do this? Verse 9. He did it to ransom people for God. He did it to make us a kingdom and priests by his blood. Jesus is worthy because he died. And Jesus is worthy today because he rose from the dead. Now I know someone in here is happy enough about the resurrection of Jesus to say amen to that. He's worthy because he rose from the dead. Amen. Yeah, you can clap, praise the Lord for that. That's why we're here today. I wanna zero in on verse five for just a second. Revelation 5, verse 5. When the elder tells John not to weep anymore, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered. And look at what it says at the end of verse 5. So that he can. So that he might be able and deserving and worthy. And why can he? And why is he worthy? And why is he able? Because John says, the elder says to him, because he has conquered. Wait, what about the slain lamb? The, the, the death and the, the suffering and the trials. That doesn't sound much like conquering. There are many today, sadly, many today in churches who are playing church. And the music might be beautiful, and all the pomp and the circumstance and the ceremony and the liturgy might be very beautiful and appealing. The pageantry might be just glorious. But how many churches have relegated the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even today, to mere metaphor, mere symbolism? It's purely spiritual. 
and I've told you this before, I'll tell you this now. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just some metaphor, a picture, a symbol, a thing we like to say that didn't really happen, but oh, how it means so much to us. If it really didn't happen, here's the thing. I will pack my office up today and you can find someone else to preach. And I'm sure you can find another youth pastor and another music pastor and probably a whole lot of other people to fill this sanctuary. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, our faith is vain, we're preaching about nothing, we're preaching lies, and we're still in our sins. Listen, if Jesus did not truly and physically and literally get up out of the tomb on that day, our faith means nothing. This is no mere spiritual, figurative, make-believe idea or fairy tale. The one who truly and really died on the cross is the one who truly and really lives again. And this is the cornerstone of our faith. Without it, it's all a lie. And you can go join a social club, live it up in the YMCA or whatever it is you want to do with yourself in a social organization that does nice things for people. But there is no gospel if Jesus is not really risen from the dead. But thank God Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, but Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's why I'm here today. And I wonder why you're here today. Brings us to our last point. Number five, Jesus is worthy of your worship. There's some questions that certainly follow all this up. Questions for you. Realities you need to face this morning. I don't know why you're here today. If you're a regular attender of our church, that's wonderful. If you're a visitor, that's wonderful. If you're just family and you've just, you just been drugged along by mama who wants to come to church, that's great. I'm glad you're here today. But there's some realities and there's some serious questions you need to face today. John faced them that day. What will you do with them today? The first question is, who else is like this? Who else is like this? Show me the prophet. Show me the teacher. Show me the religion. Show me the other savior who is worthy. Where else do you see the almighty, all-powerful, holy, eternal God stoop down and become a man? The Jews thought that was outright blasphemy. Islam today says, how can you ever believe that Allah, the true God, became a man? But in the gospel, that's exactly what we have. Furthermore, who else says that this almighty God who became a man goes and dies? A shameful death at that. Even, Paul says, the death on the cross. It's scandalous. What other prophet, what other teacher, what other thinker suffered that kind of death and yet rose from the dead to live again? And the inevitable question for you today is then, who else is worthy of your worship? Who else is worthy of your heart? Who else is worthy of the bowing of every knee and the confession from every tongue? You alone are Lord. 
John gets his answer here. Maybe you need this answer today. Jesus alone is worthy. Not Muhammad, not Allah, not Buddha, not Joseph Smith, no angel, no spirit, no God, except Jesus Christ. Jesus alone is worthy because he alone is God who became a man who died for our sins and rose to life on the third day. And Peter says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For at the name of Jesus, Paul says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So, where have you looked for salvation? Where are you looking? Maybe even today in the pew where you are, hearing the words out of my mouth and not understanding any of it. Where are you looking for salvation? How are you thinking that, that, that it will go when you die and you stand before whatever it is you think you'll stand before, if anything? Are you seeking after other religions, other worldviews? Maybe no religion, just yourself. Maybe you're chasing after your own good works and hoping that that will be enough on that day of judgment. I go to church enough, maybe that will be enough on the day of judgment. You will not find salvation in those things. But if you today, like John, will look and see there a lamb as if it had been slain. And if you, by faith in him, will be plunged into the crimson tide of his blood, the Bible says you will be cleansed, you'll be washed, you'll be saved. Because this dying slain lamb is also the victorious conquering lion. And if you will die with him today by faith, you will live with him again in victory and glory. Believer, this morning, this is no old news, believer. This is still the same gospel, the same good news that saved you, believers. And it's the same gospel and the same good news we need to preach to ourselves every single moment of every single day. Listen to me, believers now, those who claim to be believers in this room, maybe you're far away from God today. Maybe church and the gathering of the saints in this way has just become not a priority for you or your family. Maybe you're not discipling your family the way you should. Men, primarily, families together. I invite you today to check your foundation. You say, I'm a believer. I claim to be in Christ. Well, where are you today with him? Unbelievers, I want you to hear this warning. This lamb who was slain is the lion who is coming in judgment. And whatever we think about the scroll or the seals, one day all the books will be opened and the judgment will come. What will your answer be on that day? But there is an invitation extended to you here too, not just a warning, but an invitation. Grace is here for you today. Last time I checked, Jesus had not yet returned. He might in the next second the next minute, before this day is through, he might come or you might die. And what will your answer be to him? The invitation is open now. While there is still time,
come to the Lamb of God. This morning, if you can, I invite you to pause. The familiarity of the story, maybe this morning it's just washed over you, you know, like the Christmas story or reciting the night before Christmas or whatever it is that just kind of comes. Yes, we know all this. We've heard all this before. I want you to pray and ask God to once again today let you wonder in awe of him. Stand in awe of this, that the beauty, the beauty and the power of this gospel might wash over your hard heart once again, maybe for the first time. And as we magnify and worship and adore this one who is worthy, Jesus Christ our Lord, may we see him as beautiful, glorious, and holy, and righteous, and mighty, and worthy. Worthy of every praise, worthy of every song, worthy of every word of worship. Would you stand with me? We're going to read together the song of all the creatures in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. All of our musicians can get in place because we're going to sing as soon as we're done reading this and declaring this together. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and on the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, say this with me, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And what else is there to do but for us to fall on our faces in worship and say, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.